listening to Over the Oxford podcast with Tracy Cole for all things to do with the mind for equestrians. I'm going to be talking today about imposter syndrome and it follows on from last time's podcast which was all about limiting beliefs. Imposter syndrome is a style of limiting belief. And I'm going to talk about why I don't like the term imposter syndrome, why I think it causes more harm than good to label yourself that way or to even use the phrase. I really don't like the phrase, although everybody knows what it means. So it's a convenient way of talking about it. I'm going to talk about how we can think about imposter syndrome, what it is, and how we can start to diminish its influence. Because that's the thing about imposter syndrome. Very often, it doesn't just impact your riding, it impacts different areas of your life as well. So first of all then, imposter syndrome. And why would we want to change the name of it? Well, first of all, imposter it makes it sound as though you do not deserve to be where you are. So whether that's on a yard where maybe you feel a bit inferior because everyone else is more advanced or maybe the horses are more advanced or whether it's in the collecting ring and you feel so uncomfortable because just looking at people warming up, you can see they look much better than you. Maybe you recognize a few faces and you have this perception that they're a much better rider, their horses go much better, they're much better schooled. You know, all of these things that run through your mind and just keep adding, niggling away, eating away any confidence that you might have. And so it doesn't matter that you are in different situations. This word imposter is awful. It means that, you you know, you shouldn't be there. You're somebody who's infiltrated, that you've gone under the radar and you've been able to get in, you've slipped in, but nobody realises that actually you haven't qualified or you're not good enough. And so it's an awful word. And words really do have strong meaning for our unconscious minds. So labels are really important. So labeling ourselves an imposter is really, really detrimental because the unconscious mind takes everything so literally. It unfortunately doesn't really have the reasoning to reason out or make logical the fact that we have qualified or we do deserve to be here or we're just as good as anyone else. So that word is awful terrible word, imposter, to actually label yourself that way is just really, really difficult for your mind, you know, because it starts to kind of assume that mantle. It becomes, you you live as an imposter, you know, you, you start to think and act and behave and ride like you were an imposter and you didn't deserve to be there. So that's the bit that I really hate about it. But similarly, I also hate the word syndrome. I mean, how awful is that? 
if we know that our mind takes on words and absorbs them without really judging whether it's true or false or good or bad, then syndrome is an awful word because it sounds like some kind of condition. It, it certainly sounds like something's wrong, that, that we're broken, we need to be fixed, there's something going wrong in our head. And that's an awful thing to label ourselves with as well. So in this podcast, I'm, I'm going to use that term, but I don't like it. And I really, really would like to think of something better, maybe simply a self-limiting belief. I know it occurs, but it really does go deeply into our unconscious and impacts us there in ways that, you know, we simply don't know. It could have a very deep and very strong effect on us. Self-limiting beliefs. And as we know, they're probably not true, but they are running as programs and they are affecting how we act in all different situations. And limiting beliefs are very deep in the unconscious mind at times, they can be unknown to you. They may be very, very obvious and more towards your surface thinking, but also you could simply feel that you really don't deserve or you're not worthy or you're not good enough. So they can be quite strong at times and they can prevent you doing what you want to do or prevent you from being as visible as you want to be. And I think if you think about imposter syndrome in that way, I I kind of think about it like a person who is checking in for a budget airline and they don't want to pay for the luggage. They don't want to pay for the luggage to go in the hold. So they've kind of layered every item of clothing that they can think of on themselves. So they've got umpteen tops and jumpers and sweaters and sweatshirts and coats. They've got trousers and socks, hats, gloves, (laughs) you name it. And in doing that, they've kind of made themselves smaller because they've got so many layers of clothing. They've kind of made themselves less visible and they're there, they're making themselves as small as possible so nobody sees them, nobody notices them. And the clothes, to me, are these things that we tell ourselves over and over. So using imposter syndrome is probably like putting about 10 pairs of socks on. But then we've also collected a series of memories which again may have a little bit askew to them, memories where we didn't feel good enough, where we didn't believe that we were worthy, where we thought that we weren't deserving. And we've piled those on, those the rest of our clothes. And so we're feeling very small, we're feeling very inferior, we're trying to make ourselves less visible and we've got all these layers and layers of beliefs and memories and values and habits and so on, thought processes, all stacked on top of us, convincing us that we haven't got a right to be there and to be visible. Now, 
imposter syndrome doesn't always manifest quite as obviously. You might be simply feeling unhappy or uninspired about your riding. You might feel like you're in constant vicious circles. You might feel that you get to a certain level and then you bottom out. You might feel that you get your confidence up and then it falters. You might feel anxious, but only in certain situations. And some of these things can be standalone issues or they can be linked to other things, but they can also be descriptions of limiting beliefs and descriptions of imposter syndrome because the tendrils kind of start to spread out and go quite wide. And when you remove imposter syndrome or a limiting belief, therefore, you're not only removing that single belief, but you're also removing a lot of anxiety, a lot of lack of confidence, a lot of unease, a lot of things that are going on throughout your life. Because although the imposter syndrome may be to do with riding, it may also impact other areas of your life because it's sapping your energy. It's taking away energy. We don't think about that. We don't think about stuff that we do in our heads as taking up energy, but it does. It really does. So kind of storing away imposter syndrome and all its component parts, it's a bit like, you know, taking up RAM on a computer. It's taking up space. It's taking up energy. And when you get rid of these things, the release of the energy or the fact that you can put that same energy into your physical riding, that is so useful and so liberating. People think that because a limiting belief is either quite deep or that you've had it for a while, that it takes quite a lot, maybe a lot of sessions to get rid of it. And it doesn't, it really doesn't. One way to get rid of it is simply to poke holes in it from all different angles. And that's what we're going to do a little bit of on this podcast. But obviously, if you need something stronger, then it would really do you a lot of favours to go and see a mindset coach. So the first thing I want to convince you of is that you can have that light switch moment. You can have it where suddenly that imposter syndrome does not operate. Let me give you a little example. It's a very famous example and it's the Bannister effect. So it's all about Roger Bannister, the man who first ran the sub four minute mile. Psychologists call it the Bannister effect in that when Roger Bannister in the early 1950s was planning to run sub four minutes, you can imagine that he had so many opponents, so many people who really did not believe it was possible. So this was in the general population. It was also in the professional population as well. You know, the people like the medics and the physios, the people who knew about nutrition, people who were coaching, and even most of the runners themselves didn't believe that sub four minute miles were possible. They thought that we had reached human capacity, that the human body 
simply could not run any faster. A bit like today, if I said, oh, you know, I'm sure we'll run 100 miles an hour unaided without AI, then you probably would be a bit sceptical of that. You probably think, I don't think a human body could really do 100 miles an hour. And it was that kind of belief that people had, you know, that this was all pie in the sky. So there was quite a lot of opposition. There was quite a lot of people waiting for Roger Bannister to fall on his face. And so on that day in 1954, cold, rainy day, probably not the very best day to go out and crack a few world records and overturn the global population's opinion. But off he went and he did. He won that race and he won it by about 20 yards. So he won it pretty clearly and easily. And with that, he did overturn the beliefs, the mindset of the population of the world in a single split second. How phenomenal is that? That he changed beliefs night and day. And that's how quickly a limiting belief can go. Because a limiting belief is simply a belief and there's there's nothing particularly special about it. it. It is a belief that limits us. So we have to think about what will be our banister moment. So when you're rooting these things out, we need to think about what we can do to identify the limiting belief. What's causing you to feel like that? So you could make a list of how you feel and you could maybe think about whether there was at the heart of it a limiting belief that's responsible for those smaller set of beliefs, feelings, maybe values, memories that are coming flooding back to you, just reinforcing it. And so once you've got down to the limiting belief, you can start to get rid of it. But the awareness comes first. Knowing that something could be tweaked, enhanced, improved, got rid of and so on, that is incredibly powerful. So being aware that it's happening and that it's not actually real. It's not actually true. It's a feeling. And feelings, although they make you act in a certain way, are only based on the programming that we've set up in our mind. So it might be quite good fun to try and poke some holes in this imposter syndrome, self-limiting beliefs, feelings that you're not good enough. All you need to do for this is simply allow the questions that I'm going to ask you to wash over you. Alternatively, if you want to answer them in your head, you can do. So these are kind of just beginning to tie your mind in knots because if your mind can't answer and describe limiting beliefs, then it's a huge step forward to having got rid of it. Okay, 
So thinking about your situation, thinking about a problem, an issue, something that is niggling you at the moment. What is it? And calling it a problem, for want of a better word, what is that problem not? How do you know what the problem is not? What do you need to know to not know this? Okay, the second one. The second one is going to be four questions and I'm going to ask them quickly all at once. Okay, and just see if any insight pops into your mind as I do that. So I want you to think about the situation that you would like to do calmly, confidently and without any hindrances. What would happen if you did do it? What would happen if you didn't do it? What wouldn't happen if you did it? What wouldn't happen if you didn't do it? So in that we cover all bases. I'm going to do it one more time. What would happen if you did it? What would happen if you didn't do it? What wouldn't happen if you did it? What wouldn't happen if you didn't do it? Here's another one. What's wrong? What caused this problem? How has your mind failed to resolve this? How can you overcome the solution to your problem? What would you like to change? When will you stop it from being a limitation? How many ways does your mind actually know that you've already solved this? How are you seeing things differently now? And these are quite good fun because they do tie your mind in knots. They do make you think about things. They do make you question and then kind of wonder where your feelings or your problem or your limiting belief, where, where is it going? It's, it's getting deflated. It's like getting a pin to a balloon. Here's one last one. What's wrong? How do you know it's a problem? When did you decide that? When don't you do the problem now? What are you not deciding when you don't do it? How is that different from how you were? How do you know that now? What changes are you going to make right now? These style of questions are called quantum linguistics and it's not for you to come up with absolute answers. That would be very much what your analytical mind would lead you towards. 
but your unconscious mind is already having a think about these things. It's already reorganizing and reevaluating things. It's already starting to see things differently now. Have another listen if you need to do. And remember, you don't need to come up with concrete answers because this is wafting over the membranes of the unconscious mind and it'll start to find its own answers in its own time. Thanks ever so much for listening. Take care and I'll see you again soon. (music) 